let us begin. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. We've got two choices in our lives. Either we go into our feelings and we become a hero, or we don't go into our feelings and we let our wounds dominate us for the rest of our lives and we're the ultimate victim. And we've got two choices in life. You're going to be a hero or you're going to be a victim. You want to be a victim, that's okay. That's your choice. But you need to be aware that you're making a choice to be a victim. I'm Tracy Alexander and welcome home. Home of Sapiens is a place we come to feel better about the world. It's a place to talk about real life in a way that gives us hope that we can move in the right direction. I'm a meditation and alignment coach, and I teach the same tools that helped me through some of the hardest parts of my life. Because we're not here to suffer. We're here to learn, love, grow, and thrive. And that's what this podcast will help us do. The more I accept my vulnerability, the more I'm able to love. I cannot love unless I love myself. And the only way that I can love myself is to accept my own vulnerability. That was Melvin Polon. Melvin is a paediatrician based in Sydney, Australia. And despite going through a divorce, losing his second wife to breast cancer two and a half years after his son was then diagnosed with lymphoma, Melvin says he hasn't suffered much in his life. He says the universe is on his side. In this conversation, Melvin shows us how to cultivate emotional resilience, how to identify what we're really afraid of, how to move through uncomfortable experiences, soothe shadow emotions, and he demonstrates by example that feeling all of our feelings is the key to our freedom and living a meaningful, real, grown-up human life. I think it's unusual for men to speak about their feelings, but I wanted to speak about my feelings. I wanted to give them words. I wanted to explore them and understand them. In the context of Melvin's world, he is a pioneer, diving deep into men's work and emotional literacy. His is a story of true heroism because Melvin spent most of his life ignoring his feelings. But once he saw how that approach was actually doing more harm than good, he owned his shit, went inside, and changed his inner relationship with the outside world. In fact, as we talk about, he was at my house the night of my aunt's surprise party when my father had a stroke. And the whole situation, not being able to help, completely rattled him. And the shame that he carried around caused him to not go and visit my father during his 13 years as a quadriplegic and his eventual understanding and compassion for himself around what actually led him to make that decision is what led him to reach out to me 20 years later to connect, relate and express his remorse. Melvin also talks us through how to approach our relationships so that we aren't needy and reliant on others to make us happy, plus how to support our children and our loved ones to develop a robust and rich emotional world. Before we dive in, let's set our intention. Series one of Home of Sapiens is about resilience. We're looking for ways to find more peace, joy and courage, no matter what chaos and terror we face, or see around us. So let's breathe in and breathe out. Move out of fear and into our hearts. 
Melvin, it is so amazing to be talking to you in this capacity because we have known each other. You've known me since I was born, but I have known you as a friend of my parents, a friend of my aunties and uncles. And over the years, we've connected kind of through email because you've reached out to me every time I've shared a blog post about something that I'm going through, you know, on on an emotional level and you've always reached out and offered insight and so it's so amazing to be able to now give you a platform to share all this incredible wisdom that you've shared with me over the years so I'm so grateful that you've agreed to come on. Well thank you for saying that I'm touched. <laughs> and you know that this podcast is about resilience and so I'm going to kind of just start by listing things out on paper. Of course, somebody's life is not defined by, you know, the, the particular milestones. It's an everyday unfolding. But just looking at the accumulation of events that have happened, I would say, just over the past 20 years, you know, you got divorced, you later remarried, then your new wife got cancer, then your son got cancer, then your wife passed away. And we'll get into your childhood in a minute, but just looking at those two decades of your life on their own, we're talking about a lot of fear and a lot of grief in some short 20 years. So when you look at your life on paper, one might say that, you know, you've had a hard life, but that's not at all how you see it. No, not at all. Not at all. I think there's purpose in suffering and, um, and if I can find the purpose in suffering and find the meaning in it, then it was worth it in a way, or it was, it's okay. It doesn't, it's doesn't, I don't hang on to it anymore. But how did you get to that point? Because there are a lot of people who go through significant challenges, like a child having cancer, losing someone, um, to an illness or just losing somebody in general, losing your partner, even going through a divorce. And they're not looking at it in terms of what was the purpose of this. How did you integrate those experiences as something that was happening for you rather than to you? Yeah, that, that's an incredible question. And I don't really know. But the way I understand it for myself is that, I mean, just like reading Khalil Gibran, so Khalil Gibran, if you read what Khalil Gibran says on joy and sorrow, he says, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. It's like the Taoist kind of principle. There's no joy without sorrow. Sorrow doesn't exist without joy in the way they kind of create each other. It's like the yin-yang symbol. They, 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 they're part of the same whole. So the more sorrow I know and I accept, the more joy is opened up to me to experience. And it's just, unfortunate. that's the purpose of suffering. The purpose of suffering is to feel bad so that you can, in, so that you can learn to feel good. And the bad and the good, if I, if I hang on to the good and I'm attached to the good, then I feel more bad when I feel bad because I feel bad about feeling bad. But if I don't hang on to the good and I accept the bad, 
as being just as valid and just as important for me to experience as the good, then when I feel the bad, I can welcome it in and experience it for what it is. And it passes. Everything passes. I'm not going to feel bad for the rest of my life. So at this moment in time, it's my chance to feel bad. I'll feel bad. And when it's my chance to feel good, I'll feel good. But when I'm feeling bad, I'm still feeling a bit good inside. And when I'm feeling good, I'm still feeling a bit bad inside. I mean, people laugh and they start crying or they cry and they start laughing. It's, it's, it's Taoism. Taoism is the, the two opposites. And I've got to learn to accept both so that I can walk the middle path. Mm-hmm. How did you get into Taoism? How did that become something that you've now integrated into your life wisdom? Were you looking for some kind of meaning? Yeah, I just saw a book in a bookshop and I thought that's a book for me. And um and 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 that's how things have happened in my life. I've um, I got interested in Jung. Hazel, my first wife, bought me a book on Jung. I don't know how she knew, and that and I gobbled it up. And um, and I kind of I feel lucky that things have happened to me that I can sort of accept that have meant to happen for me. I mean, I've learned a lot from what I've been through. It's terrible for the people that had to go through stuff, but I can just talk for myself. I I learned a lot. I I, I felt fear and I know what it feels like and it passed. Yeah. But there's an inclination, Mel, that, you know, there aren't people that just happen to have that view on life of, okay, these things are difficult. You know, it's my turn to feel fear. I've learned so much from it. It seems as if that's just your nature. Is that how you would describe yourself if I've always just kind of mm -hmm. I think so I think so it's um like about 35 years ago I joined the men's movement where we sat around and spoke about our feelings and I think it's unusual for men to speak about their feelings but I wanted to speak about my feelings I wanted to give them words I wanted to explore them and understand them and I'm not interested in soccer or rugby or the um whatever shares and I don't know what the Dow index means or anything like that I want to know what I'm feeling and I don't know why I must have just been born like that Mm -hmm. because let's talk about that you know in your childhood talk us through the dynamic that you had with your family or with your mother rather that might have been the first indication as to what your nature was when presented with challenge well i had absolutely it was completely denied throughout my childhood throughout my childhood i had nobody that i could talk to about my feelings at all and um and when i when i grew up um, I was married to Hazel, and Hazel was a was a relationship therapist. And we went to America to see the best marital therapist in the world at that time, named David Snarch. And David Snarch's notion is that a marriage is not about happiness; a marriage is about transformation. A relationship is 
If you say something to me that makes me feel bad and I react, it's because I haven't dealt with that stuff. It's an opportunity for me to learn. If you say something to me and I don't agree or I don't like it, if I, I can respond appropriately and say, you know, that makes me feel such and such. But if I feel a reaction and I feel a tension inside me, it's because something inside me hasn't been resolved for me. And so we went along and we saw this person and I told her, so we saw his wife and I told her that when I was a child, my mother used to have like fits of depression or something, you know, it wasn't very often, but like once every few years, my mother would disappear into her bedroom and I had no idea what was going on. And I wasn't allowed to go in there and I would see the doctor coming and going and I'd see my father going in and looking all concerned and I'd see people coming and going in and being concerned. And I was just this little boy and I had absolutely no idea what was going on. And I, and so I said to this woman that I'm not an emotional person. I, when I was a child, I never felt anything when I was so insecure. And so, it, my, you know, my world was not secure and I wasn't safe. I didn't know what was going on. My family was maybe falling apart and I didn't feel anything. And she said to me, the reason you didn't feel anything or the reason you say you didn't feel anything is because you, um, it wasn't safe for you to do so. And then I thought, yeah, you know, that's right. I've got to go and I've got to find out who I am as an emotional being and who I am is an emotional being. That's all I'm interested in. All I'm interested in is who I am and my relationships. And um, and doing the work that I do, but that's the thing that I'm most interested in the whole world. When I die, I want to lie on my bed and I want to say that I figured out who I am to the best of my ability, and I um and I um and my relationships were meaningful. Mm -hmm. And you know, you and I both have the same language when it comes to encouraging people to feel their feelings. You work with children as a pediatrician. You've been doing this for as long as I am years old. Um, and you and I were talking recently about the fact that, you know, people just have this aversion to discomfort. People have an aversion to feeling their feelings. And I had a meditation student recently and she said to me, you know, my concern is what if when I go into my meditation practice, I feel something? She actually said those words. And so we had to have a conversation about what a feeling is and how this is just a sensation in the body. And as you said so aptly before, you know, these feelings that are felt in the body that are, you know, cascades of hormones and chemicals come and go um, and that we need to feel our feelings. They need to pass through. Oftentimes they're messages to us, they're lessons for us. And other times they're not, they're just a release um, and they actually feel quite cathartic after. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting, the conversation that we had about people's aversion to feeling their feelings. And then specifically in your case, you know, you've done a lot of men's work, but men, and they're not encouraged to feel their feelings by society. Um, and so there isn't a language around it. So I'd love to you to know your thoughts. Okay. So I think, I think for me and you, it's very, very different because I'm working with children. So the way I understand it is in our formative years, we get emotional wounds. So we have 
emotional experiences that we're able to handle and we have emotional experiences that we're unable to handle. And if we have emotional experiences that we're unable to handle, if we don't get the right support and we don't work through it and like a little kid cries and accepts it, if I don't, then it sits inside me as an emotional wound. So an example would be, say I was a little, say I was a little boy and my dog died, or say I was a little boy and my granny died. I was a little boy and my granny died. I, I went to visit her in the hospital. I saw that she was old. I, um, I was taken to the funeral. I went to the prayers for her. I, I wrote a note to her and I, and, I, and I had an opportunity to say goodbye and my parents supported me. I'm not left with anything. But say I was a little boy and my father died and it was way too big for me. All the stuff that was going on was way too big for me. So I'm left with an emotional wound. I'm left with a feeling that sorrow and fear are, are, are too big for me. So I can't go experience that. I can't go back and experience that feeling and get it into perspective for myself because I'm too scared to go there because if I go there, it was too big for me the last time. I'm scared to go there because it's going to be too big for me. But I'm working with children where the little kids haven't like really developed their egos yet and their senses of themselves. So I'm dealing before the wound has become part of the person's ego, which now is, is like solidified in their sense of themselves. I'm dealing with children who haven't got a sense of themselves. So I could talk about them and I can go through this event and I can support them or try and teach them about what's going on before hopefully it becomes part of their ego. But for adults, so there are just to me, there are just three feelings. It's so simple. There's a sad feeling and a scared feeling and a small, not good enough, shame feeling, worthless feeling. And we got all of those and we're born destined to have them, whether we like it or not. And the more we integrate them, the more when I feel sorrow, I, I need to let the sorrow in. I need to give it a name. I'm now experiencing sorrow. This is what it feels like. This is what it feels like in my body. While I'm giving it a name and I'm experiencing it and giving myself permission to feel it in my body, I have an observer that says, I'm handling this. And when I handle it, there's some sort of reconciliation happens between my emotional sense and my intellectual sense. And then the wound is kind of healed. But it's still sad that my mother died or it's sad that something happened to me. But I'm not scared of the sadness. I'm not sad about the sadness. I'm not, the, the sadness is not dominating me. It becomes part of me. And the more of my sorrow that I incorporate into my sense of myself, the more joy I'm free to experience. And, um, and when it's my chance to feel shit, I'll feel shit. And when it's my chance to feel good, I'll feel good. But I won't be I won't be fighting the bad feeling because I know it's going to pass and it's okay. And there is a pilot light of joy no matter how sad I'm feeling, there's a pilot light of hope 
no matter how much fear I'm feeling. You know, I mean, I'm facing that now. I mean, I'm now 70 and it was my 70th birthday and I made a speech and my speech was telling people how I feel because that's what I talk about. So I was sad about the people that I love that weren't able to be there. And I was happy that the people that were there were there. And I said, and I feel fear. I feel I'm reaching 70. I'm not 20 now looking at what I'm going to do. I'm 70 now. I don't know what the future holds for me. I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I really don't know what the future holds for me. And I've got to contemplate the fact that I don't know what the future holds for me. But at the same time, I have hope that bad things won't happen to me. And I have courage that what will come my way, I will be able to deal with. And the whole, the whole, the, the most important word there is and. I'm feeling fearful and I'm feeling hopeful. I can't only have one. I have to be able to contain the two. And if I can contain the two, I can walk down the middle path and I can be myself. Otherwise, I'm scared, so I'm behaving in a way that's um, that's that's trying to prevent me from feeling that scared feeling of getting old and whatever. So I'm I'm neurotic about medicine, and I'm taking testosterone or who knows what, and I'm I'm going with all these new fads, you know, and having a facelift and whatever. Um, it's not. It's being real. Being real is containing the two, and that is growing up. So, so, so the reason that the, the person who is too scared to go into their feelings, they, they don't want to go into their feelings. You've got, we've got two choices in our lives. Either we go into our feelings and we become a hero, or we don't go into our feelings and we let our wounds dominate us for the rest of our lives and we're the ultimate victim. And we've got two choices in life. You're going to be a hero or you're going to be a victim. You want to be a victim? That's okay. That's your choice. But you need to be aware that you're making a choice to be a victim. You want to be a hero? You can feel your feelings. And, and no matter what you feel, it's a feeling for God's sake. There's always a part of you that's bigger than it. You're not dying. When your head's being chopped off, you've got a big problem but if you're scared it's only a feeling oh my goodness mel i just i love absolutely every single thing you said and with the passion with which you said it also because you know talking about this heroism of going in and feeling your feelings you know that it does it takes a hero to feel their feelings is also part of as you say the education that we miss when we're children learning how to have a language around our feelings and um, for us as as parents raising children knowing also how to hold children through their feelings requires us to be able to do that for ourselves first and I know that this has been such a journey for you because when we first started to talk on this level um, it was because you read a blog entry of mine that I wrote now, how many years ago would it be six or seven years ago? And I shared a story about the fact that I was on holiday and I was hit on the head by a pole because like a curtain had fallen down and being smacked on the head triggered this little shock that sent me into a panic that I couldn't you know, foresee coming, but I saw myself in that panic, you know, being triggered back to a time in my childhood where 
my dad in the blink of an eye. I went from this white picket fence, perfect family to my dad being carried down the stairs by four doctors, white in the face, couldn't move his legs, put into a car, sent to the hospital and never came home and was you know, sent into a life uh, for the next 13 years of being a vegetable, a brain damaged quadriplegic. And at the time, as you so, you know, so perfectly say, those feelings were too big for me. I didn't know how to hold them, how to process them. And through the mind of a 10 year old girl, nine years old, going on 10, I created a story around that, that now, because I'm the eldest child, because my dad was no longer there, what happens you know, because this is what I understood of life at the time was now I have to be the dad. And what do dads do? Dads are strong and they hold it together and I have to support my mum. So on that, on that level, I pushed my feelings down. And then on the other level, the feelings were just so big. So that was a convenient way to suppress my emotions. And I never learned how to to understand my emotional world, which led me later in my teen years into a mental illness, depression, anxiety, multiple suicide attempts. And, um, you know, I was long over that by the time I wrote this blog because I'd gone in and healed that emotional world, but I'd never gone and shared with people about that history of mine with mental illness. I never actually shared with people that that happened to me because I had shame around it. And here I was on holiday with my new boyfriend and had to try and explain to him why I was having this panic attack and why I kept seeing my dad in this panic attack because it was triggering that every something can change in, a, in an instant kind of fear response. And I wrote in the blog about how the fact that when I did eventually share it with him, how incredible he was around it and how I realized that the shame that I'd felt around the mental illness needn't be there. That prompted you to reach out to me and share a story that I found so deeply courageous and moving because you shared with me the fact that you were, which I already knew, one of the doctors at that party. And then, you know, being a friend of my father's, you went to go visit him in the hospital when he'd become a quadriplegic. And you can just tell us rather what that triggered in you, what your response was. And I just want to say before you even share it, the fact that you had that courage to come and tell me that story um yeah I've just I've always just had so much love and respect and admiration for you to come forward and tell the daughter of your friend that that's what you did so I just invite you to kind of fill everybody else in in terms of what that did for you well I kind of experienced the same as you your response you're saying when your dad died was to rise up and make it better for everybody else because you recognized they were feeling bad and you thought you were going to make them feel better. And I thought that I need to go and see Anthony to make him feel better. And I didn't know how to make him feel better. I didn't know at that stage how to feel bad. I thought I had to go and make him feel better. And because I didn't know how to make him feel better, I didn't go to see him. And because I didn't go to see him, when I learned about how to feel bad, and I thought, I can cry when I think about it now, you know, I, I could have just gone and held his hand, but I couldn't do it at that stage because I didn't know how to. All I knew was I've got to go and make him feel better. And I did medicine to try and make people feel better. And I couldn't go and make him feel better. 
and and I didn't go. So I was experiencing shame that I didn't go, that I'd let somebody down, that I'd let myself down. I'd feel I, there was fear that I couldn't make him feel better. I you, that it was. I think that I think the 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 fear is the fear of not being able to make people feel better, and 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 shame of and now of 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 like admitting it to myself. And I, and you spoke of your shame, and I told you that around that, I experienced shame too. And you spoke of your fear and your desire to try and make people feel better, and um, and what it required from both of us is to just accept those feelings and grow through them and let those feelings become a part of it. And I recognized you as heroic and I thought I'm going to reach out for you and I'm going to tell you that I understand how you're feeling yeah and I so appreciated that and you know I, I actually pulled up that that letter that you wrote me and I just wanted to read just a small part of it to to kind of go into the 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 proof that you know as you said you know you weren't always someone who knew how to felt feel your feelings but you took on that heroic journey of going in and and healing those things because you ultimately saw the liberty that you actually get from allowing yourself to go in and feel those feelings so you know you, you talked about the fact that um you know at the party you and the other doctors had gone up to see my father and you were chatting and joking and then suddenly my dad um who you you said before his name was Anthony couldn't feel or move his one arm and then the same thing happened with his leg. He said, I knew that something catastrophic was happening. I thought he was going to die and I felt scared and helpless. I secretly wished that he would die because I knew that if he survived, he would be severely disabled. I went to visit your dad only once in rehab. I felt helpless, sad and scared and I said nothing. I couldn't handle what I was feeling. This goes back to my childhood. The way I operated when I was young to prevent me from feeling helpless, sad and scared was to be positive, optimistic and funny. And here I was feeling my deepest fears with no coping mechanism. So I never, ever went back to see him again. I still feel bad about it to this day. So first of all, as I keep saying, the courage to, the, to say that to your friend's daughter after all these years is just unbelievable. But I just was interested for you to share how you went from, obviously you talked about, you know, in couples therapy, this, this therapist saying, you know, you never did feel your feelings. Now you've got to go feel your feelings. How you went from somebody who is obviously a feeling person and how you used positivity and optimism unsuccessfully because it wasn't authentic to get through life. And then how you managed to take that journey from someone who's now so free with feeling their feelings. I decided I've got to feel my feelings, whether I like them or not. And I made friends with a tree. And um, I had times when, when my son Joshua was, had lymphoma and he had a life-threatening illness. And there was time when there was no treatment available for him. And we were told that, 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 that his chance of being alive in five years was, was less than 30%. And I had a wife whose breast cancer had come back. And we knew that 
once your breast cancer comes back, the treatment is just palliative and this breast cancer is going to kill you. And I had both of those people sick at the same time. And um, I used to I used to go out to sit in my tree. And the first thing, the first thing that I discovered is that I had anger about this. So I would go and I would like get a stick and I would just whack all the little dead trees, just get, get out all this kind of anger. And then, and then I could just feel the sadness and I could feel the fear. And I just sat in the tree and I just cried and cried and cried. And then it passed. And then I got back on my motorcycle and I rode back home and I felt better. And, um, and I discovered that the only way to feel better is to let the feeling come because it's a feeling. It's the music of my soul. I've just got to let it come. I, it's pointless fighting it because if I fight it, I suffer. The resistance creates the suffering. The su you know, suffering is in Helena, my wife who died, always used to say that suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. And you 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 suffer, you suffer because there's a purpose in the suffering. The the everybody has to suffer every nobody if you're going to go through your life and think you're not going to know what sorrow is you're not going to know what joy you're not going to know what fear is you're not going to know what shame is then if you never know what sorrow is you'll never know Khalil Gibran says if you don't go on that journey then you will laugh but you won't laugh all your laughter and you will cry but you won't cry all your tears you'll have you'll have a, an emotional world that will be like a britney spears song and you got a choice you can have an emotional world like a britney spears song or you can have an emotional world like a bach concerto and you will go big and small and low and high and low and you will feel it but the mean, but what happens is the more I accept my vulnerability, the more I'm able to love. I cannot love unless I love myself. And the only way that I can love myself is to accept my own vulnerability. And people don't want to feel vulnerable and they don't know how to love. So they get divorced because this person is not making me happy. I don't want, not in a relationship for that person to make me happy. I'm in a relationship to give that person my love because, and then, and then I'm sharing something at a very deep level. I am, um, it's, that's the purpose of suffering is, first of all, a feeling can be bigger than one person. It can't be bigger than two people. So if somebody's being honest about how they are feeling and somebody's listening to them, it diminishes that feeling. It creates connection. I'm only going to create connection through my difficulties. I mean, I can create connection through my happiness, and but anybody can be happy on a on a lying on a beach in Hawaii or bungee jumping together or you know eating in a beautiful restaurant or staying in a magnificent hotel or buying a new car or whatever anybody but that's conditional because it's it's it depends on that event 
And if that event wasn't happening, I wouldn't be happy. And it's the same with my relationship. It depends on something in that relationship for me to be happy. I've got to figure out how to be happy inside myself. And then I can learn what love is. And I mean, for me, I want to die knowing what love is. I don't want to live my life where I feel I've, I've got the best golf score. For God's sake, I couldn't care. Oh my gosh, I just I just absolutely love the whole way that you approach life. And you know, the 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 way I talk about it is, you know, you said suffering is guaranteed and misery is a choice or something like that. I say that pain is inevitable and suffering is a choice because how long do you want to allow this thing like you said before to absorb you rather than allowing it to come through and we don't want to sit there and ruminate and and victimize ourselves right because and I think that what is really interesting is people think they're protecting themselves that people think that they are free because they don't go into the difficult feelings but ultimately they're just prolonging their suffering because they aren't able to connect with that full heart. They aren't able to love fiercely in the way that we were put on this earth to experience love, which is the ultimate purpose in my mind. And, you know, I know adults who, you know, I know very, very well who absolutely went through childhood trauma. Their parents did not have the language to hold them through that experience. Um, their parents weren't taught it for themselves either. And it's just wounded child after wounded child passing down the the their incapacity to hold each other and nurture children to integrate their emotions and I now see them as adults and they are so connected to their trauma not in terms of the fact that they um they talk about it but it has become who they are in their nervous system and they don't take the time and make the effort to go in now as adults and start to go and heal those wounded inner children. And as a result, they will spend their life living a quote unquote half full life because they're not able to love at that full capacity because they're not able to be vulnerable because they actually can't see that they're living a half life. Mel, you know, they, they, don't know any different. They can't see how the conditioning from their childhood is actually is actually now governing the way that they live their life, which is, you know, full of fear and as a reaction to their past traumas. Their nervous systems are full of these stress impressions from the past. So I wonder if you can talk to that. What do you say to that? How can you get somebody in touch with the possibility that maybe they can heal? You know, I mean, I think for some people, their wounds are so deep that in order for them to to heal, they would need to break, they would need to have like the equivalent of a nervous breakdown. And then the phoenix rises out of the ashes. And I think we just have to have compassion for those people because it's all very well saying you've got to be a hero, but to, to be heroic enough to go and like deconstruct your whole ego and then try and reconstruct it again and not know that there's a possibility that you can, we just sometimes we just have to feel compassion for people and we can't help them. And all we can do is we can just listen to them and we can, and if, and, and, 
share their pain if we can, and maybe it lessens their pain a little bit. But um, but it's the human condition is terrible because we might be wounded and we might be a victim for the rest of our lives. You know, who's to say that somebody who'd been sexually abused or emotionally abused is capable of healing? Um, you know, or is capable of just getting this into, into a place where, where it's contained. You know what I mean? Where, where I've had this, I've got this wound and, it, and it, it's got its place that it lives inside me, but it's got its wall around that I can see all the way around it instead of I'm inside it. It's all around me. And maybe we can get people to to kind of realize, I don't know, look, I don't work with adults, so, um, you know, I don't know, but I sit around in men's groups, and and uh, when you sit around a fire, and you pass the person a stick, and he's going to talk about his feelings, well, he's there because he wants to try and heal, he, he's discovered that the way he's operating in the world is not serving him, his relationships aren't working out, he's not happy at work, he's, he's finding that he's coming in conflict with people, and he's taking some sort of ownership and thinking, well, maybe it's me, but a lot of people, they come in conflict with people and their relationships don't work out, and they think that it's everybody else. Well, you can't help those people, but they're not going to come to somebody like you, Well. God bless them, you know. I completely agree. And my philosophy is that, you know, people can only operate from the level of consciousness that they're at. And consciousness means that you can, you know, how much can you see and how much self-awareness do you have and not even self-awareness, awareness of the greater story that is beyond what we can even comprehend. And so I completely agree that all we can have for those people is compassion if I'm just reflecting on your question, and your question is, how can we help these people? I think we can, we, if we say that what's underlying their issues at the simplest level is a sad feeling, a scared feeling, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a shame feeling. So we can say to somebody, you know, you've, you've had this terrible childhood. What's the sad feeling about that? And if they can't access it, then we can say, well, the sad feeling is that you didn't have a childhood, that you were deprived of a childhood. That's incredibly sad. You know, the sad feeling is that your father behaved like this, or your father had a terrible thing happen to him. That's incredibly sad. What's the, you know, um, we can we can we we can put ourselves in the person's position place and say, what is the sad feeling? And if they don't know, we say, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. It must be incredibly sad. What's the scared feeling? The scared feeling, Tracy, is that maybe this might happen to you. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and just open the dialogue around the feeling for the person, and maybe you can open little doors. Yeah, you know, it's interesting though, because having worked, uh, working in this space, the the interesting kind of observate observation that I've had is that people, you know, what you're saying is validating, validating somebody's experience and showing them how, yes, that absolutely would have been difficult and, you know, helping them try and identify it. But there are those people that, and it's even done much in the spiritual world of, of what 
people call spiritual bypassing of going straight from, yeah, that was difficult, but look at the bigger picture or look at the growth or I don't blame them for that, et cetera, et cetera. And they want to go straight from acknowledging it on the story level and not going through the feeling to now, yeah, now I understand it on an intellectual level. Yes, that was sad. Yes, that was hard. Of course it was, but look at the growth. But unfortunately for that to be truly integrated and for you to be a wise, functioning, healthy human, you have to go through the emotional experience of feeling the sadness, acknowledging it on a physiological level for the nervous system to have some kind of resolve in order for you to move into true integrated positivity. And I think that is oftentimes the missing piece of people that don't want to go and feel the scared feeling, don't want to go and feel the sad feeling. They didn't necessarily feel it and hold it in a supportive space as children. And now they understand as an adult, yes, that was tough, but it's not an intellectual exercise. It actually has to be somatic um, in order for there to be a full body mind integration for the nervous system to have updated so that the way that we see the world now is from present moment awareness and isn't tainted by the memories in on a cellular level in the past because the stress reaction is stored in the body right what did we see so, and okay well not- then i can understand what you're saying so mm. one way of trying to break through is to break through at a physical level get them to move their body and move the part of the body that won't move because of the memory that's stuck there and the emotion that's stuck there and maybe when they they do that yoga pose the emotion comes out but for some people the feelings are so big that it's just not possible to, you know. Exactly. We just have to love yeah. those people. They and we exactly. can't we can't judge them. If I was in their shoes, I'd be the victim for the rest of my life. And maybe it's 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 awful that you know. I mean, who's to say that somebody comes out of a concentration camp has got to like get their head together? Maybe they will never. Completely, you know, completely. The kids, yeah. So let's go towards what what you currently do and empower children with and help parents do as well in terms of helping children um, find a language to their feelings in terms of you know the child says there's a monster under the bed so um uh so i mean just like a very simple example would be a kid who's a small child who's scared to sleep in his bed and the and he calls his parents, you know, and they kind of screaming, come, come, come. And the parents come into the room. And what's the problem? He's frightened. And what he's frightened is he's frightened of something under his bed. So what we would tend to do is we would tend to prove to him that there's nothing under his bed and therefore he doesn't need to be frightened. But the problem is not something under his bed that's making him frightened. It's the frightened feeling that's making something that is making him think that there's something under his bed. So we got to talk to him about his feelings. So you go, well, that's just the scared feeling. You know, everybody gets the scared feeling. Every animal gets the scared feeling. It's just the scared feeling. That's the name. It's the scared feeling. But we beat the scared feeling with the love feeling. So you come and give me a hug because the feeling, that's the thing. The feeling can be bigger than one person, but it can't be bigger than two people. 
So especially for children. So you come and give me a hug and I hold you. And while I'm holding you and I'm telling you that this is called the scared feeling and you feeling the scared feeling because I'm giving it a name for what you're feeling because you're feeling it. You're not giving it a name. I'm giving it the name. And I'm telling you that it's okay to feel the scared feeling. And then the child experiences it pass. And if the child experiences it past and he does that a few times, then he knows that the scared feeling is going to pass. And it's okay to have the scared feeling because it's going to pass. But if the child hasn't felt the scared feeling pass, then he doesn't know that it's going to pass. So he becomes scared of the scared feeling. So if he's scared of the scared feeling, he can never get on top of the wave to ride it back to the shore. He's never going to continue walking when he gets back to the shore because he's always under the wave because he's scared of the scared feeling. So that's what happens to a lot of adults. They, they they, 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 they're scared of the scared feeling. It's not what they're feeling. It's fear of the feeling. Or it's how do you feel about how you feel? They're scared of the sad feeling. They, they're using their intellect to protect them from feeling the feeling because they're scared of feeling the feeling because they've never felt the feeling pass. It just passes it's impermanent it doesn't stay forever and even the happy feeling doesn't stay forever you buy me a ferrari and i'll be happy but i'm not going to be happy forever after about a month i'm not so happy anymore completely completely and this is the thing about reparenting yourself as adults and going in and talking to that inner child and asking what do you need what are you feeling allowing yourself to feel your feelings and the fact that everything is passing by, there's this beautiful kind of parable about a meditation teacher who has a student who says, you know, please, please help me. I'm feeling all these feelings. I really don't enjoy my life. And the meditation teacher says, no problem. Here's a meditation technique. Go off and practice it. And so the man, you know, his student is really happy, goes off and practices the meditation technique. And it is bringing up all these other feelings and it's really uncomfortable and his back is hurting and his mind is flooded with thoughts and the flies are annoying him and you know, now he's just even more permeable to, to all of the sensations in the outside world. And he comes back to the meditation teacher and he says, listen, this is, this is not working for me. You know, I'm having all of these uncomfortable feelings. Um, you know, I need you to give me something else. The meditation teacher says, don't worry. It's just passing by. Go back and keep going with your meditation practice. So the student rolls his eyes, not at all happy with that response, goes back, continues practicing. And then after a while, he starts feeling great. And he's having this feelings of euphoria and bliss and connection to all things. And is, you know, he's, he's content with whatever's going to come, etc. And he comes back to the meditation teacher and he says, thank you so much. I'm feeling glorious. This is exactly what I wanted. And the meditation teacher says, don't worry. It's just passing by. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love it because then, that's people want also people that come to me for meditation. I said to them, first of all, it's not about the feeling of the meditation itself. Who cares if you're a great meditator and for 20 minutes in your day, you're feeling blissful and euphoric and then you go back out into the world and you're the exact same person as you are. It's about how you're feeling outside of meditation. How are you able to navigate this human to be able to be with whatever comes through. And you never apologize to me when you're laughing. You only ever apologize to me when you're crying. You know, we, we create this one category for shadow emotions and we banish them and we say, this is what we don't want. But as you say, it's the full experience of being a human and that's what we're here to experience 
and we need one to have the other as well. Well, what, what is stuck inside, what emotion we're not owning, owns us. Mm-hmm. It, it acts like an engine inside us and it drives my judgments and my behavior and my attitude and everything. It's either I take ownership of it or it has ownership of me. And those are just the two choices. And, and, and you can still be optimistic and feel bad. You, the optimism is that I will feel bad, but I will be able to handle it. I will be able to handle it. No matter what comes my way, I will be able to handle it. And what I will have learned from it will be of benefit for me because the opposite of what that represents will be revealed to me. I can't find joy. I can't seek joy. I can't go. I can seek happiness and I can go and buy things for myself that make me happy that are conditional, but I can't buy joy. I have to joy has a joy. I have to find the joy that the, my potential for joy inside me. And the place to look is inside my sorrow. That is the irony of life. It's the yin yang symbol. The yin yang symbol is not in two dimensions. It's in three dimensions. It's a ball. You want to know where the white is? You go in the center of the back black and you go through there. And that's where you find the white. And in the center of the white is the black as well. And you find the two of them. And if they find balance, like the yin yang symbol, then you got, then you, that's the best you can do in your life. You can't do better than that. Otherwise, you, you, can, you, can, you can be happy getting stuff. I mean, it's nice to get stuff, but it's conditional. That owns you. You don't own it. The joy of looking at a sunset and feeling alive and wonderful doesn't own you. You own it. The, the Ferrari that you, that, you, that you wonderfully in love with owns you because without that Ferrari, you less. But the sunset, without that, you, you're part of that sunset. Yeah, and the, your, your, your happiness lies inside your sorrow and your courage lies inside your fear and your resistance is preventing you from being a whole person. The problem is the resistance, that's all. Completely. And, you know, I always say to my students that, um, you know, you can't heal your way out of being human. You know, you can't live your life completely, you know, trying to get yourself to a point where you'll never feel pain again or go through challenge. It's not about that. It's just about becoming a really good surfer. So I want to just kind of finish by for you to share a story about how your son is an example of that, of how he has used his experience Um, thank goodness for him with you as a father to guide him and hold his hand along the way, but how he reflected back to you about how your support and what you taught him, especially with, you know, the experiences that he went through as a teenager who was experimenting with all sorts of substances helped him to become this resilient person that he is. I'll share two stories. I'll share the two stories of what my children made speeches and said to me at my 70th birthday party. And Joshua, Joshua, my son, is now 36, 37. He was, he was a very serious little guy, you know, when he, when he found out what pessimism was, he was, he kept on asking me, is he a pessimist? He was worried that he might be a pessimist. He was always concerned about these things. And I used to talk to him about his feeling and he grew up um, a serious guy. 
um, and he, um, he 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 used to go to raves or whatever, and 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 take ecstasy and sort of experience the love drug or whatever. And one time he took some ecstasy or whatever it was, and maybe it was mixed with something, or maybe his psyche was trying to give him a message, and he had a he started becoming fearful and he became a bit paranoid. And then he, when he became a bit paranoid and afraid, he started having physiological reactions, like his heart was going fast and he was sweating and he, um, and he felt absolutely terrible and he started feeling weak and he started having these panic attacks and he was having, you know, panic attacks. So he came to talk to me and he was telling me what was happening. And I said to him, so this is what Joshua said, told at the speech at, he, at my 70th birthday party. So I said to him, there's nothing wrong with you. This is just called a scared feeling. And it's a feeling for God's sake. It's not, you're not actually dying. It's just a feeling. It's just a feeling that's happening inside you. And the feeling will pass, but you've got to ride it. So you, you, you control the physiological aspects of it. You're breathing too fast. So too much carbon dioxide is being blown out of your body. And that's why your muscles are going all funny. You're sweating and your heart's going fast and everything. Just breathe slowly through your nose. And if you're actually feeling panicky and it's not passing, then phone me or call me and I'll come past and I'll sit with you and we'll wait for it to pass. We'll just, you know, we'll just go flying together until it passes. So he used to phone and I used to just sit with him on the phone and telling him, it's okay, it's just a feeling, you know, just breathe, just breathe. And eventually it passed. And the first time it took the longest time to pass. And the next time it took a shorter and shorter and shorter time to pass. And, um, and then he never phoned me anymore. And then when he he got lymphoma and he was and we were going to get a result of a PET scan, which might have been a life or death issue, and we we're driving along in the motor car, and he's just like chatting to us like normal. I mean, I mean, like like we're going to get a result with with a potential life threatening outcome, and in the car he was like really holding it together. And um, and I said to him, you know, afterwards, him at his at the speech, he said to me that you know it was thank God I had taught him to just breathe with his fear and handle it. And and at at some stage, I said to Joshua, "What is resilience?" And he said, "Because he's been through." Joshua's like had life threatening like, like his life was seriously threatened on a number of occasions he was in intensive care with with septicemia and like life and death he shivered so much that he tore a muscle in his thigh he was told that there was no treatment and we could get treatment in america for a million dollars and then luckily we got on at westmead and we got that treatment he had a bone marrow transplant and he got a bowel obstruction and he had to have a, a colostomy and they and they and, they, and, he, and he and he didn't eat for like three weeks um and i said to him what is now you've been through all of this what is resilience and he said, resilience is two things. Resilience is number one, knowing that whatever feeling will come your way, you will be able to handle it because it's only a feeling. And resilience is being present. 
what being if something shit is going to happen it's going to and it's going to happen in the future and it's not happening now there is no point in 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 making a big fuss about it now where if it comes you will be able to handle it and if it doesn't come you wasted your time worrying about it so you just be present and if it's shit you can handle it and if it's okay you 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 lucky you don't have to handle it when it's not happening to you so that was his definition of resilience and and my daughter Michaela made a speech at my thing and she said when she was small she wasn't very bright at school she was comparing herself to all the other students and there were some students she came and told me who was doing what she called independent research when she was like 6 years old or something and she couldn't do independent research and i said to her it doesn't matter you just have to try as long as you try it doesn't matter i'm not interested in your marks i'm interested in whether you tried and she said and she said she remembers that one year at the end of the year she brought me her school report and i said to her did you try mickey and she said yes she tried and i said that's good enough for me and i tore up her school report oh, we all need a bit of melvin as our father and you have done that for all of us today just with that incredible compassion and wisdom and honesty and vulnerability and seeing that it's it's possible for all of us somebody that spent the majority of their life not feeling their feelings to spend the rest of their life feeling their feelings and being a pioneer and a cheerleader and a supporter for everybody else through example and through direct teaching through you know through your children and using those opportunities of your 70th birthday for other people to witness and see wow what is possible for us and i'm just so grateful for you and for everything that you've shared so thank you so much mel can i just say something please um I'm lucky and I can feel like this because of the past that I've had. I've had, you know, I grew up in South Africa. I had maids who loved me. I had parents who still loved me. Maybe my mother was a bit neurotic, but I never had, I never had anything like really terrible happen to me. So I'm lucky. I'm not a big kind of hero because I've had a lucky life and I'm lucky to feel like I feel today and if people have had really really difficult time maybe they can't do it and we just have to have compassion for those people I'm not so wonderful my life's been easy so it's easy for me to be this kind of hero small time hero because I'm handling stuff but look I guess I have handled stuff big stuff when I was older um but you know, when I've, I've had a lot of, I'm a privileged white male. And it's easier for a privileged white male to deal with this stuff than it would be for, say, an Indigenous person who's had a terrible time. You are 100% right. And then on the other hand, you're not giving yourself nearly enough credit. So that's just typical of you, Mel, to have everything in perfect perspective. So thank you. Even thank you for those closing comments. You're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, how magical is that man? So many golden nuggets. I found it actually hard to select just a few for the introduction. But if you like this episode, please share it because the idea here is to start having more deep, life-affirming, empowering conversations that help us to navigate life so that we can feel better, so that we can be better. And then each of us 
is a part of creating the kind of world we want to live in. You can follow me on Instagram at home.of.sapien. That's without the S, not Home of Sapiens, because Home of Sapiens was taken, which is uh, not going to stop us. Progress, not perfection, people. And if you are looking for a meditation practice that will actually help to rewire your nervous system to integrate any kind of uh, cognitive work that you're doing to integrate it on a somatic level to allow the body to feel safe so the mind can believe a different narrative to become more resilient you can visit me at tracyalexander.co or send me an email at hello at tracyalexander.co All right, don't forget that you are amazing. Give yourself a big hug from me. I've got you, but most of all, you've got you. And let's keep changing the world one heart-led soul at a time.